still on. Sorry, I just hope there's some good gardeners here. I need some help, okay? So, uh, um, we've been sitting for a while. I want you to stand up, have a stretch, talk to one person near to you, and in one word, you get one word to sum up last year. All right? One word to sum up 2022. Have a go. Stand up, have a stretch. Um, actually, just let's, let's hear a couple of words yelled out. Come on, there's no 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 order here. Just yell out yell out your word. Busy, merciful. Any other words? Testing. Yeah, I'm not hearing that word COVID, so that's great. All right, well done. <laughs> Woo! Um, I don't know how you found found it. Um, and uh, but um, I don't. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not really on Facebook. But my wife uh, to- shared with me what she um, wrote on Facebook, um, how she summed up um, last year. And this is what a little bit of what she said. This is read out with permission, by the way. Okay. Um, 2022, you seemed to last forever. As we farewell you. We keep lessons learned, adventures made, and relationships that have grown deeper, thanks to our beautiful family and friends who have kept us, and to my Lord Jesus. Don't know about you, whether there were times last year that felt like it went on forever. Um, But was it a year that you say you flourished more or floundered? Flourished or floundered? Or maybe it was a bit of both. They're generally a mix, aren't they? Well, I guess perhaps more importantly, we're a couple of weeks through the front door of 2023, aren't we? How can we sort of set ourselves up uh, to flourish more, and particularly to flourish more um, in our relationship with God and in the life that God has created us for and saved us to live? How does... um, uh, do you call yourselves ABBC or, you know, Dinga Bay Baps? Or what, yeah, anyway, how do, you, how do you guys as a church flourish and grow more? Flourish like a healthy tree that we heard, we heard read out. Uh, that word flourish, I quite like it. It's, it's sort of, uh, I don't know, don't know what images it creates in your own mind. But when I looked up the Oxford Dictionary, it defined the word flourish as to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, a healthy or vigorous way, especially as a result of one's environment. Uh, a mate of mine, um, he works in a different ministry with, uh, with people with mental health. Uh, he's written um, a great article called The Bible and Human Flourishing. And he observed this, that I, you, cannot isolate what is good f- for me or good for you from the web of relationships that we each belong to and the subsequent responsibilities we have because of those relationships. He's really saying what the Oxford Dictionary is saying. Healthy, vigorous, especially as a result of one's environment. Which explains God's beautiful vision for human flourishing. The Bible's vision for human flourishing is of a truly wonderful state of affairs where people's needs are met, their gifts are being used for the good of others and they enjoy fullness of life with God and with each other and God's world. 
The biblical picture of a relationally flourishing life with God and God's people in God's world, it's just beautifully captured in the book of Psalms. I don't know what your habit is. My habit for many, many years now has been always to start each day with the psalm, which means I read through the psalms twice a year and have Sundays off. You know, 150 psalms, 300 days and Sundays off. The psalms are, unlike any other book in the Bible, um, 150 inspired prayers are given by God for God's people to pray back to him, divided into five books. Uh, Martin Luther called it God's little Bible. The Psalms contain in brief the very best and most beautiful things from all the books of the Bible, all in this little book. The Psalms not only train us to pray, but they gradually reshape our affections, but also our aversions, so that we might love more what we ought to be loving and hating more what we should be hating. John Calvin wrote that. The Psalms give voice to the cries of our heart. They... they, that they give us the words when we're feeling things, intense things, and we don't quite know what to say, how to say it. Whether it's thankfulness, anger, frustration, fear, despair, or just overwhelming guilt and shame because of things done or not done. The Psalms give us all of that. Most crucially, though, as we say and read and sing and pray the Psalms, they show us Jesus. They take us to Jesus. Because they are about Jesus. It's why the Psalms are the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Because they're all about Jesus. Not only did Jesus himself pray and sing these Psalms as he grew up and during his ministry, but Jesus literally embodies and fulfills them for us. He says that in Luke 24 after he's been raised from the cross. Some of the last words Jesus said were from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Psalms teach us that the secret to a flourishing, blessed life comes as we actually join ourselves, as we sort of hitch our carriage, if you like, to God's King Jesus and to Jesus' people. That we utterly surrender and give ourselves, heart, mind and soul, to him and his good purposes for our lives. And Jesus himself, he gives us these beautiful psalms, these prayers to be prayed, to actually help each of us just to endure each day to the end, whenever that end is, whenever God calls us home, that we too might be saved. Because that's what Jesus promised, all who endure to the end will be saved. Psalms 1 and 2, why I had them read out, is they are the gateway into the Psalms, if you like. Um, the doorway that you walk into the Psalms. And um, that they, every Psalm is to be read in light of Psalm 1 and 2. They are meant to be read together as well, Psalms 1 and 2, which is why I had them read out together. Um, and that's for a few reasons. If you uh, pull up Psalm 1 and 2 on your phone or in your Bible, um, if, I don't know if you do that, if you've got an app, um, they don't have any of David to begin with, all the other psalms that follow in book one do. The second thing we would have heard or notice is that both the psalms end with a reference to the way of the wicked that leads to destruction. Psalm 1.6, Psalm 2.12. The third thing to notice is that both psalms are bookended in the same way. Bookended by that little word blessing or blessed. 
It's a declaration by God, actually. Psalm 1 begins declaring that blessed is the man, blessed is the one who. Psalm 2 ends with blessed are all or any who take refuge in God's Christ, a word that means God's ultimate king or ruler. I think we've all probably lived long enough to know that just as good words from good leaders lead to a good life, so Psalm 1 introduces the good rule of God's word, the goodness of that word. Psalm 2 introduces God's good ruler, in whom any person can find life and blessing if they put their trust in him. So let's get into it, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 declares a blessing to open, as I said, blessed is the one. The word there is, it's singular, it's one person, it's man. God's purpose has always been and continues to be to bless and prosper humanity. We know that as we open the pages of the Bible, that when God created human beings, he created the male and female and he blessed them. Go forth, multiply. But we're only 11 chapters into biblical history and things look pretty dire. You know, Tower of Babel, everyone's scattered. And then out of the blue, God calls a random pagan idol worshipper called Abram and makes phenomenal promises to him that he'd bless him, make him into a great nation, blessed are all who actually bless him and that through his seed, his offspring, all the nations are going to be blessed. Psalm 1 begins by reminding us that we're on the lookout for a Psalm 1 blessed man who is the seed of Abraham, who is also a descendant of King David and is a perfect lover, a perfect sinless lover of God's law. Did you pick that up? Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Again, we all know how quickly bad company and bad words um, can lead um, us astray, our loved ones astray, they can corrupt. And so in any and every posture of life, walking, standing or sitting, doesn't mention sleeping, does it? Anyway, God's blessed right with God person, so God's blessed righteous person, they're going to be wise about the company they keep, wary of the counsel of the foolish and the God ignorers who live as if there's no God or day of reckoning. Um, it's coming. Experiencing God's blessing is the fruit of the company that you hang out with and whose word we are delighting in. The psalm goes on, doesn't it? The blessed one is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, um, I brought along a couple of pots out of my garden and um, I thought the kids could help me here. Some of the young people. I've got this one and I've got this one. Now, kids, who can tell me why, you know, what, how, what, how would you describe this plant? Dead. Yeah, it's not doing too well, is it? Yeah, um, maybe that's how some of us are feeling this morning, actually. Um, not enough caffeine, but this... And why is it dead? What's, what hasn't it got enough of? Water. Water. And this one, how, how's this one looking? Pretty good, isn't it? And why is that? It's getting water. Yeah, and... What I love about the Bible and the way Jesus taught is he just takes the simple things of life, the things we know, to actually use as analogies and metaphors for actually 
to describe life with and without God. Because he goes on, and the language is pretty strong. Did you pick that up? Verses 4 to 6, Psalm 1. It's not going to end well for those who are against God and his anointed. See, what does he say? Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Uh, And righteous is just a person whom God declares is in the right with him. The wicked are people who live as if there's no God, or who balk at the idea that they should submit to the good rule of God's word and his king. The wicked is anyone who's chasing after life in other words and ways that are not God's words and ways. People chasing life in the material rather than the maker. It's interesting, they're described as chaff. It's not a common word we use today, it's a chaff. Chaff is the loose outer covering on wheat. Um, We've just come back from the mid-north and everyone's harvesting and as they harvest, you know, they're harvesting the grain and there's always this plume of smoke coming up from the harvester. That's the chaff. Um, it's got to be separated in the threshing and winnowing process of harvesting grain. Now we have machines, but back in Jesus' day, it was done manually, and still in many cultures of the world, it's done manually. Separating the worthless chaff from the very valuable grain is a picture all through Scripture of how God separates good from evil and the different way God treats the godly from the wicked, the believing from the unbelieving. Did you ever wonder that some of the first words spoken in uh, at least three of the Gospels at Jesus' baptism by John the the Baptist? This is what he says of Jesus when he rocks up. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He's picking up on a number of prophecies in the prophets that talk about uh, the nation's unbelievers, uh, his own unbelieving people being like chaff and the remnant, the faithful remnant being like the wheat. It's strong language, isn't it? But he's picking up this idea of chaff and wheat. Jesus came the first time to save people, to save sinners. But the second time he will come to judge the world with righteousness. We're told repeatedly, the chaff, the wicked, the ungodly, the faithless, the unbelieving, the unfruitful, Jesus himself will separate from the godly and consign to a horrible forever in hell. And these are hard and heavy things, but these aren't my words. These are Jesus' own words. Psalm 1 reminds us what all the Bible teaches. There are two ways, two walks, two words we can be living for. Each way, walk, word results in a very different future and destination at the end of life. We all know there are consequences to our choices. But... Here's where we run into a bit of a conundrum. It's on my outline. See, who's this righteous, blessed one in Psalm 1? 
I want it to be me, we want it to be us, we want it to be our loved ones. You want it to be you and your loved ones. The good news is, so does God. But God consistently says that in the Bible that no one is righteous with God. No one. And so quoting two Psalms, 14 and 53, the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 3. There's no one right with God, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who even seeks after God. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so how on earth then do we be this blessed person of Psalm 1? And who is actually Psalm 1 talking about? Who is this right with God, blessed person? Well, it's God's rebellion-crushing king or good ruler of Psalm 2. Jesus, the Son of God, whom God twice declares, first at his baptism, then up the mountain where he was transfigured before James and Peter and John. With you, with him, I am well pleased. He is my righteous one. Listen to him. The Bible teaches us repeatedly that it's because of the sinlessness of Jesus that he alone is qualified to be sin for us, to save us. He alone is qualified to pay sin's wage in our place on his cross. Now that's good news if you're here this morning racked up with guilt and this is the whole point of Jesus it's why the apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 for our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God it's why the apostle John writes in 1 John 3 you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin it's like Jesus alone scored the perfect ACAR that you need to get into heaven. He alone is qualified to save us, and he did. And so I'll give you one of many, many examples throughout Scripture. This one from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus, the right with God for all, anyone, all of us who are the unrighteous that he might bring us home to God. Because of Jesus' beautiful work of redemption on the cross, that we can now receive the full blessings of God through faith in him. It's why Paul opens his letter to Ephesians, bursting forth in praise. He's so excited, he uses no punctuation. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The material things we crave can never bring the genuine happiness or contentment. True fulfillment can only be found in a relationship with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Christ Jesus, he's the Psalm 1 blessed man. Which is why Psalm 2 finishes as Psalm 1 began. With a promise of blessing for any human, any person who will be wise and take refuge in Jesus, in his King, his Saviour King. Because you don't want to be not taking refuge in him when he comes back to crush the rebellion. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. 
Now, I don't know um, where you've come from so far, you know, t- today, where you're at in your life and thinking about God, but whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've come from, whatever you're feeling, life couldn't be better, maybe, you know, whew, business is booming, you just, it, life's just going great. And you're sort of here, you know. Or maybe you're feeling that your life is withering and overrun with guilt or shame or, or maybe the grief of, a, you know, of loss. Maybe you feel like, God, where are you? Beyond God's care or help. When we moved 18 months ago down to um, um, Aldinga Beach, um, there was these three fruit trees that obviously were planted to try to, you know, make the backyard look pretty. Uh, the only problem was they hadn't been watered for months. <laughs> and they were just, you know, they looked dead. Um, and I thought, well, let's throw some water on it. Nothing. And I went and looked. We were about to pull them out. And I went and looked and I thought, oh, is that, is that a bud? wasn't sure. So it, we just threw water on these things for a whole year. And next year they just went pop, bang. And now they're as green as. Um, I mean, I was about to rip them up. I thought they were dead, gone, beyond hope. Now, I think we can feel like that. We can look at um, people, other people like that, you know, that somehow beyond God's reach, that, oh, this this gospel, this Jesus, oh, he couldn't save a person like me or a person like that. But this is the power of the gospel of Jesus. However dead you feel or seem, he is the God who has proven he can make dead things alive. It's the resurrection. He can make the dead come alive and so he can make you come alive this morning. One of the beautiful people I met at Roxby last year is called Gemma, a young mum. Uh, I was in the Roxby pub having a snitty, as you do. Some people from church and, 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 and other people around there and got talking to Gemma. She was juggling a couple of kids you know, on her knee and uh, said, oh, you know, what are you doing here? How did you end up at Roxby? And she said, oh, well, you know, married to Loki. He's from South Africa. Came over, met him down south. We came to Roxby, didn't really want to come. Don't like Roxby, but she's here. Um, and she became aware that 18 months ago, she began feeling increasingly anxious, like really anxious. Um, and life was out of control and really worried about the future, especially for her kids and, and that. And anyway, every morning she was in the habit of taking the kids along to the hub, the Roxby hub there. And at this one morning she bumped into a lady called Beth who never goes there. And she blurted, you know, all these things out, you know, just finding life so tough, just hard. And, um, and Beth said, well, actually, you know, I'm married to the guy who runs the church down there, Roxby Community Church, um, Glenn. And um, why do you come along? And she thought about it, went home, said to Loki, we're going to church this Sunday. <laughs> we, well, that one, you know, the, the Roxby one, the community one down the road there. Okay. Now, Loki, he, you know, as a kid in South Africa, went to church, hadn't been to church since he'd been into Australia. They rock in with their kids. And from the moment, you know, they're warmly welcomed. And, and she said, look, you know, it was really quite amazing. From, you know, by the, even the end of that first Sunday, I just began to feel this weird calm, you know, and peace inside. And, you know, the Bible was read and explained. And, and then Beth offered to read the Bible with her, caught up with her, read through the Gospels. And a few months later, she's giving her life to Jesus. And, and then she goes on. And, and as she's talking, you know, she's, she's 
you know, it's five o'clock, it's, it's, it's mad hour with the kids, and, but her face just starts lighting up, the smile and stuff as she starts to talk about how good it is to know Jesus, how good it is to know that he died for her, how good it is to know that he's in charge. Um, and that any, everything that matters about tomorrow, about the future, um, he's taken care of. That whatever happens, that he's got her, he's got the future of his kids. And, and she just talked beautifully about the peace that comes from being reconciled to your maker. Knowing his love, that's unbreakable, irrevocable. This is in the middle of the Roxby pub. <laughs> and been there 18 months and what's beautiful now is Loki is just loving reconnecting with church so he's now on fire for Jesus they're running one of the two Bible study groups in town <laughs> and now Gemma is meeting up with another young mum who is lost and wants to find out about Jesus reading the Bible with her how cool is that and how beautiful it is that Glenn and Beth are there to be that little spark that witness so how do we flourish and grow like a tree, uh, that, this one, not that one, in, in 2023? Well, Psalm 1 and 2, they're just two beautiful songs of salvation that not only take us to God's king of blessing, but they remind us just to keep, keep listening, uh, to stay hungry for God's word, um, uh, to know it, to heed it, to do it, uh, to keep coming every day leaving behind, letting go of whatever we need to, to take up our cross, to keep coming to Jesus, to take refuge in him, to, f- to follow after him, knowing that even though it might feel, doesn't feel like it at the time, that his word is life. His way is life. And at times it's going to feel like a very, very narrow way, <laughs> like you are the only one swimming against the, the you know, current. But, but, but that's life in this world. That's life as a Christian, isn't it? Now, I'm not never discourage people from making New Year's resolutions, um, but for the Christian whose trust and hope is in Jesus, I want to suggest that the gospel way to life and blessing and flourishing this year, uh, it's not going to be through guilt, but by God's grace, his undeserved favour, knowing that it's done, it's finished. It's not going to be try, you know, gritting your teeth, trying harder, you know, but by turning to Jesus and with his help, trusting him more, with more of your life. Uh, two recommends uh, that I've got here on the bottom of your, your fly there. A couple of great little reads um, that will take you through the Psalms as well. Um, and there's other recommends as well. Um, and as I said, um, a Psalm a day is, 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 is really a great way to, uh, I think, to start every day as well. Um, but let me, let me close with this. At the end of the day, we, we don't know what, what is around the corner for each of us this year, do we? I can't see around corners, maybe you can. But whatever corners, God's already there. But more than that, he's taking us there. Because he knows it's what we need and he's with us every step of the way. And so we can trust him. We can really courageously step out into each day, step out into this year, unashamed of Jesus, Whatever comes, whether it's a battle with cancer, death of loved ones, relationship breakdowns, the consequence of sinful or foolish decisions, trials at work or school, being made redundant, maybe ongoing health challenges you've got, who knows what 
new COVID variants around the corner. Jesus has the victory. He has the victory. That whatever comes, you can wake up each day knowing you are safe. You are saved. You are secure in his arms and he's got you. Whatever happens. These beautiful words that I just love from Romans 15. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, you might have hope. Real flesh and blood resurrection hope. don't know if you're familiar with the story of Corrie ten Boom, World War II survivor. Uh, she coined it like this. We should never be afraid to trust an unknown future with a known God. And we, we know God in Jesus. And he's there. He's got the future. Let me finish praying for us, shall I? Merciful Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much um, for the gift of the Psalms and the gift of these two Psalms particularly. Thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of your son, your sinless son, so beautiful, so lovingly, giving it all up to go to the cross for us, to take our sin there. Thank you that it's finished, that it's done. That as you look upon each of us, for anyone who's taken refuge in this king, in your king, your son, that each day you look upon us and all you see is the beautiful, perfect righteousness of your son. So help us to keep running to him, to bring everything to him. Allow him to cleanse our consciences of guilt and shame, to fill our tears and despair with real hope. Father, help us to walk the narrow road, to know the goodness, the joy of letting go of whatever we need to this day, this week, in order to take up our cross more wholesomely, to follow after you, Jesus, knowing that you promise to lead us home. And Father, I want to pray for, for this church, your people, that in your good time, help them to be patient and prayerful, but in your good time, Please will you raise up for them uh, their next servant leader who will love them and help them to love the lost in this growing community around us. To be a good news people, a light on a dark hill. Hope for the hopeless. Father, thank you for this beautiful time of fellowship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.